Hi, my name is James Waldron. I'm Portfolio GP in Nottingham, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to GP Notebook Podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes, and if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes, study groups, and much more. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing adventure medicine, being a ship's doctor. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back Dr. Rebecca Waldron for the second of our podcasts on expedition medicine. Rebecca is a F4 doctor, which means that she's in the fourth year after qualification, but she's actually hoping to join us in general practice and join the primary care team. She's also my younger sister, and I'm really happy to have her back today. It was great to speak to her on the last podcast about her inspiration in pursuing expedition medicine, her experiences in preparing for it, and how you can find your own inspiration to grow your career and interests within expedition medicine. I'm glad to be able to speak to her today. She's recently returned from three months away as the boat medic with Sea Shepherd and is soon starting her next adventure working in New Zealand. Hi, Rebecca. It's great to have you back. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, Brill. For those who missed the last episode, can you outline what your role was on your expedition? So I was the medical officer for a boat of around 33 people. And I dealt with the day-to-day small medical issues that people faced. I was the shoulder to cry on with the psychological support, with the difficult things that we were going through, seeing the environmental issues, as well as being away from home. I did quite a lot of infection control. And I was also there in case of an emergency, in case of a traumatic injury, to preserve life and to make sure that I kept somebody alive and kept somebody safe until we could get them to more definitive treatment. Gosh, well, there was a lot to incorporate there in your role. And you mentioned trauma as well. I think that would put a lot of GPs in a bit of worry because it's been a really long time since I dealt with any traumatic injuries. How, how did you approach that? That was one of the really good things about going on the expedition medicine course that I went on because they covered a lot of trauma and doing primary surveys, that sort of thing. And that was the thing that was really exciting about going on an expedition was knowing that I might be able to do some something hands-on. I think in the GP world, more and more of the practical elements of being a doctor are being taken away. And so to have the opportunity to do them again, uh, I think is really exciting. It sounds like a, a really fun experience for anybody in, in general practice to learn some of these practical skills again. So that sounds fantastic. Working on a boat is probably something that most of us can't really imagine. What was it like working on, on the boat, working on Sea Shepherd? The boat was a large boat, around 52 metres, and yet felt pretty cramped because there were so many rooms I was very lucky to have a hospital room to myself, which was kitted out really well with lots of different medications, with oxygen, with defibrillators, that sort of thing. There are specific issues that you have on a boat that you wouldn't have anywhere else. For example, seasickness was something that I had to deal with personally, as well as help lots of other people through, even though I wasn't feeling well. 
it's an inherently hazardous environment on a boat because you're constantly moving, but people still need to use knives to cut up vegetables to make the food. They still need to use sharp tools and and welding equipment and that sort of thing if they're the engineers. So there are always hazards around. In fact, there was a, a funny sign in the workshop with a picture of someone's eye and a needle next to it to remove a foreign body. And it said, eye surgery is not recommended on a moving boat. Please wear safety goggles. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you don't really think about those sort of problems when you are sitting in your nice, comfortable surgery. So I've, in fact, suffered from seasickness a little bit myself. And they say that there are two stages of seasickness. The first stage, where you vomit so much you're worried you're going to die. And then the second stage is where you vomit so much that you're worried you might not die. So it sounds pretty (laughs) terrible. How did you go about dealing with that and sort of making sure that people got their sea legs? It was a lot about getting people to trust that I knew what I was talking about. People were really desperate for these patches that you put behind your ear, which give you a steady release of of medication. But these are only for people who are vomiting so much that they can't keep down any fluid. And I only had a few of those, so I had to make sure I I kept them in case of an emergency. So just getting people to trust that I knew what I was talking about and that if they took the seasickness medications regularly when they were supposed to, that they would get better. And there was only really one person who for a very long time suffered with seasickness. And actually what really helped was just getting her to wake up a few hours early to take a pill, to then go back to sleep again. And then in the morning, which was when she was normally vomiting, all of a sudden she was much better. Brilliant. It sounds like you managed that very well and maintained that relationship with someone. It's also your crewmate as well as a patient. You've mentioned before that there were a lot of difficulties or at least challenges with living with the people that are also your patients. Can you tell me a bit more about those experiences? That's one of the really interesting things about expedition medicine, that you are living with your patients. And the advice that I was given by the medical officer who did the job aboard the same ship that I went upon before me, he said that the best advice he could give me would be to not get too friendly with your patients. And I found that very sad because these are the people that you're with for three and a half months who become your family. You need to have friendships with them or you won't be able to survive it it was the trust between myself and the other crewmates that enabled me to navigate this difficulty for example there was a time that somebody had covid they had fever and a cough and a positive test uh, a positive lateral flow test and they were not particularly convinced that they did have COVID, but we were good friends and she trusted me. She trusted my advice to isolate and she went along with it, even though it's not really what she wanted to be doing. And we managed to come through this with a great professional relationship, a great doctor-patient relationship, and still a fantastic friendship as well. Wonderful. And I think managing that doctor-patient relationship is so important in general practice and sounds like a great skill that GPs might be able to take through to expedition medicine. And I think it must have been very difficult to try and keep that distance, especially with that close proximity and being an inherently friendly and and bubbly person such as yourself. I think that that might be more difficult for some than others. 
to do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like there were lots of things that you encountered that were very similar to general practice. What was different to normal medicine, medicine that you'd already experienced? We had very few tests available. I was used to working in a hospital where I had the whole hospital at my fingertips. But I said in the previous podcast, I only had a few tests available to me. Lateral flow tests for COVID, a glucometer and pregnancy tests, basically. That was really difficult. So you have to deal with a lot of uncertainty. You're also very far away from definitive treatment. So at times we were two or three days sailing away. And so that affects the way that you risk manage because you might not want to sit on something and wait for something as long as you otherwise would if you know that very soon you're going to be far away from port and far away from a hospital. And yes, you have to accept your limitations both in your own abilities and also in your resources. If I had had, if somebody had needed intubating, it just wouldn't have been possible because I didn't have a ventilator, even though I had intubation equipment. So you have to accept that there are limitations and you just have to do your best and know that you are the best chance that anybody has for good medical treatment and that your crew are lucky to have you. Because on most boats, actually, there is no properly medical trained person medically trained person sorry there's somebody who's done a few days of a medical course and that's it Mm. well they're very lucky to have you a fully fledged doctor um on there and the more we speak about this the more i see the similarities with general practice we are in a resource um resource limited situation we don't have the same tests but sounds like we have infinitely more tests than was available in that very small boat there Um, But also being aware that there are things that we can do for our patients, that we can make positive impacts, really big positive impacts, even with limited resources. It sounds like some of the situations there, if it got hairy, if it got very serious, might have been a challenge to deal with. How did you deal with those really big challenges or how would you have dealt with them in this isolated environment at sea? There were a few different avenues I could take. If there was an emergency, then you would ring Telemedicine at Sea, which is an organisation that provides advice, especially to those people on other boats who are not fully medically trained. But also they help to coordinate evacuation of people who need to get back to port as quickly as possible to a hospital. So that's what I would have done in an emergency. If I needed advice, but I, it wasn't an emergency and I could wait for it, then I would use WhatsApp because Sea Shepherd has a great network of doctors who give advice in these situations. This was quite difficult though because, as I've said before, our access to the internet was very patchy. So you had to accept that it was going to take a while for you to get some advice. And so there was a certain element of trusting yourself and trusting your own abilities that really came into play and it's not something that you have to deal with a lot as a junior doctor in a hospital but something that you deal with every single day as a GP. <laughs> well it sounds like that it sounds like there are there are great similarities there as well and using time as a diagnostic tool is something we often talk about in general practice. Were there other any other similarities that you found? I think as a GP, you see people who come in as soon as they've got a little cough or a cold. And I found that people would come in 
not come in. They'd come to me with a problem the second that it arose, such that it was too early for me to really tell what it was. It hadn't established itself as a recognizable disease yet, but people wanted answers. Because I was there, they would ask. And that was really difficult because I wanted to be able to help. And I wanted them to trust me. And you feel sometimes like they won't trust your guidance and your opinions if you don't always know the answer. Yeah, I, I think that can be a problem that we, we frequently face in the community as well. So from problems that we frequently face to problems that we don't frequent, frequently face, were there any particular issues that you had to deal with during your time on Sea Shepherd that were a, b- a bit interesting, a bit different? My favourite thing that I had to do <laughs> was that somebody broke their tooth and I had to do a filling, which was uh, really enjoyable, actually. <laughs> and uh, it was something that I had learned how to do on the expedition medicine course that I mentioned. Also, there was a small COVID outbreak, which I had to deal with. And I wouldn't have normally been the person coordinating this response. Though I found that my experience of having worked in hospitals through COVID was really useful there. And there was somebody who had a sustained high fever for a couple of days during this COVID outbreak, which I found really challenging because I wanted some support and I wanted some test results that I couldn't get. So that was something that I faced that I had never faced before. Yeah. And especially considering the part of the world that we were in, which if I was right, was East Africa? West Africa. West Africa. Gosh. Uh, away for three months and uh, not exactly sure where in the sea you were, but okay, West Africa. Um, And we think about tropical diseases and things that we just wouldn't have covered in our training and sustained fevers might give you some worries. Were there any times where you were worried about tropical disease and how did you approach that? Most definitely, yes. I was lucky that one of the other tests that I did have available was a rapid test for malaria, which I used twice. So that was really useful for working out that this person with a fever did not have malaria. That was extremely important, yes. There was another time that on our shore leave, we went to a wonderful national park and someone came back with a horrible rash and we had been exposed to setsy flies and to other biting insects and that I was really worried that it was a cutaneous manifestation of onchocerciasis. So that was scary. The way that I coped with this was using the Oxford Handbook of Expedition and Wilderness Medicine, which I found really useful. And the research that I did before I left as well to make sure that I was hot on tropical diseases that I would not have come across before. Brilliant. What did you do in that situation? I used time as a diagnostic tool. (laughs) I waited. (laughs) And I treated the rash and eventually I think it turned out to be bed bugs, which thankfully did not spread. And we uh, used infection control to steam the bed to make sure that it didn't spread any further. Brilliant. Oh, so you steamed it. We had a conversation about whether you could put it in the freezer. We did that too. <laughs> I did everything I possibly could to make sure that the other 33 people did not have this problem. Yes. It's in these closed spaces, infections are going to travel easily and bed bugs. It'd be very easy to have every bed and every nook and cranny on the ship exposed to bed bugs. Yes, I was very glad that didn't happen. But it was the same problem with COVID, trying to isolate people on an isolated boat where everybody is in communication with everybody else was really challenging. 
Yeah. And people perhaps sharing bunk rooms as well and trying to manage that. Sounds like you did a a fantastic job, but sounds like a real challenge. Thank you. (laughs) So I I think it's quite interesting you mentioned about sexy flies and and, um, African sleeping sickness like, because I think sometimes we deal with people that are worried that they have these tropical diseases, but actually the likelihood there, especially having that limited knowledge and having to work on what it is you did know was quite a challenge in the situation. I, I know that you were with people from um, from the local area as well. What did you learn about utilising local knowledge and local experience of these problems to enhance your medical treatment? This was a difficult one. There was a bit of a language barrier, and I'm very glad that I spoke a little bit of French. Using local knowledge came up with the person who had this rash, which turned out to be bed bugs. Lots of local people had different ideas about what it was, whether it had been the water that they had washed themselves with in the national park that we went to, or whether it was a certain other type of biting insect, whether it was scabies, but I didn't think it was that because there were no track marks from the burrowing. So, and also there were other traditional health beliefs which came into play. I would really have liked to, on reflection, learn more about these things and incorporated them better into my practice. I didn't really find that it was something that I used a lot, but it was something that, on reflection, would be a really interesting thing about expedition medicine, to learn from other cultures. Brilliant. Yeah, I think going out to these amazing areas and having these experiences really gives you an impression and rounds your experience of healthcare in other areas and gives you an appreciation of what we have in the UK and in in other countries that we might work in. It sounds like your experience has been far-reaching and very exciting and covered a huge number of things. What do you think people can learn about themselves through doing these sort of experiences? You can learn about yourself what your limitations are. I definitely learned that I need to trust myself more. My limitation was just limiting myself, thinking that I couldn't do things that I'm actually able to do. So that was really interesting. And I learned that it's important to me to marry my interest in environmentalism and my interest in healthcare. And I felt very much like I had been neglecting environmentalism in my crazy full-time work for my F1 and my F2. If you can bring together things that you're passionate about, then you get to have an amazing job because it's something that you really care about and you don't feel like you're neglecting important parts of yourself. So that was something that I learned. One of the the, the best things about general practice is that in portfolio working, people can spend time pursuing interests that really matter to them using their medical experience or using their personal experience to pursue those. Mm. That sounds like a wonderful reason to do something like this. I think, so we're coming to the close now. If you had, what I really want to, to find out from you is if you had one piece of advice to give to other people, if they wanted to get into expedition medicine, what would that be? I would... Find out what motivates you, what interests you, and prioritise that. For me, that was adventure, but most specifically environmentalism. 
If for you it is climbing a mountain, if for you it is going to a festival, if for you it is contributing to extreme sport, whatever it is, you can find an avenue to pursue that with your clinical knowledge. Amazing. Wonderful words to end on. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really great privilege to hear of your experiences and your stories and your passion for the work that you've been doing that's come through. And I wish you a great experience in New Zealand as you travel over there and find out more about that culture and find out more about healthcare over there. But please come back. Um, (laughs) It sounds like you've had this never-ending experience of new things and new challenges as you've gone as you've gone through this exciting events and a great deal of self-belief and I think it's an inspiring story for junior doctors and GPs as well wanting to expand and explore their careers I know that this will have inspired many people at home to pursue and believe in their own abilities and training and explore these amazing opportunities that being a clinician has to offer. And we're really grateful that you've been able to speak to us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Wonderful. Bye-bye. So thank you all for listening. We hope you found this podcast helpful and interesting. Please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com. And we'd be really grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts. You can also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care.